0: DJPK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Time to welcome in Eric Walden, Utah Jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Eric, good morning.
1: How are you doing, guys?
0: good. Good. We didn't make as much money this weekend as all the NBA players, but we're pretty good.
1: Yeah, right? Like, there's always there's always something a little bit disheartening about spending the weekend reading how many millions of dollars other people are making, right? And know, knowing that's just a little bit out of your reach.
0: <laughs> yeah, more than a little. Uh, as far as that goes, uh, obviously, Favors coming back. So it looks like the Jazz uh, defensive identity is going to return, and it's going to be a little bit better than it was last year. But do you think that the offense will suffer?
1: You know, I'm kind of of two minds about this. Um, I feel like bringing Favre back, yeah, the the main motivation there is definitely uh, they felt like every time Rudy went to the bench – uh, the the productivity took a nosedive, especially defensively. Um, for all the improvements that, that Tony Bradley made uh, last year, and, and he did, they, he just wasn't great at recognizing defenses. He was always a little slow to react. So so bringing Fave back is definitely intended to address that side first. Now, as for the impact that he has offensively, I think that he probably is not going to be playing enough minutes to make a significant impact there. I don't, I don't think they're going to be taking a dive. Um, This is a team that when Boyan Bogdanovich was healthy and Mike Conley was healthy. And when uh, Jordan Clarkson was, was playing with them, they were among the top offenses in the league. You know, I think they led the league in scoring after uh, in in the month after they acquired Clarkson. So, I would expect they'll probably still be up there. You know, part of that will come down to Carson had a career year from, from the three point line, you know, um, is that, is that kind of an anomaly or is that due to the fact that he was playing with, uh, arguably the most talented cast he's had around him, you know, where, where Donovan Mitchell can take some attention, where Boyan Bogdanovich can create some space where Mike Conley can generate some gravity for him, you know, um, I think probably Conley, or uh, sorry, Clarkson is, is a little more key to their their offensive efforts than than Derek Favors is. And then on top of that, you know, while Fave isn't a great offensive player, uh, we've seen before he has some uh, he has some pick and roll synergy with Joe Ingles, and that's that's, that's nothing to be discounted, you know. Um, so I think I suspect they they'll probably be one of the better offensive teams in the league again yeah
0: so uh, this is two questions in one which can be dicey but I think you are the kind of person who can handle it
1: <laughs> that's that's a big assumption on your part but we'll see how it goes
0: so number one I was surprised how freely the money flowed given the fact the league obviously took a financial hit last year and Obviously, is going to take one this year. Beyond that, who knows? I was surprised the money flowed so freely, and with the money flowing so freely, I was surprised the Jazz were able to get Derek Favors at this price because I think he's a decent starting center in the league. He'll be the best backup center in the league, but he'd be a decent starting center in the league. And I thought somebody might give him, uh, you know, fifteen million dollars a year. And the money was flowing. I thought, with you know, teams creating cap room, making moves. Uh, did either one of those things surprise you that there was that much money out there, or that Derek didn't get more of it? Not that he came up short.
1: <laughs> uh, and I, I would say neither one surprised me a ton. Um, once, once the the league and the players' association kind of sat down and and negotiated the terms of the amended CBA, um, and decided, you know, it doesn't behoove anyone to take that massive hit to the salary cap this year. I mean, you, you guys know that the, that the salary cap every year is calculated at the end of the season based on what's referred to as basketball-related income, which is uh, TV money, which is fans in the stands, spending money on jerseys and concessions and things like that, even, even uh, money from naming rights to arenas and practice facilities. And based you know, as you alluded to, the NBA lost a ton of money this past year uh, because of COVID, uh, because of the situation with with losing advertising in China as a result of the Daryl Morey situation. If they had negotiated, if they had, if they had followed standard protocol and and based the salary cap off of that, we'd have seen the salary cap drop from 109 million to 90 million dollars. So 19 million dollars single season drop. Uh, fortunately cooler heads prevailed and, and everyone agreed that was not uh, good for business that, that, that would have just created chaos in terms of the number of teams that would have had to jettison good players simply because they would have been way over the cap. So um, in keeping the, in, in, in keeping the salary cap where it was um, you know, that created money to be spent for a lot of teams and, um, now, where how that impacts Fave is that I didn't foresee him getting too much extra money, simply because while teams had money to spend, not too many teams had a ton of money to spend. You know, you had the Knicks out there, you had the Hawks, you had the Hornets. I, I want to say there were only maybe half a dozen teams total that had that had more than. Honestly, like the mid-level exception available that had that had like genuine cap space. So once you look at that, uh, you're, you're figuring out that the majority of teams in the league have uh, the the non-taxpayer mid-level exception of nine point three million dollars, which is I suspect what they've got. So um, could the Knicks have given them more? Yeah. Could the Hawks have given them more? Yeah, but they'd also made some moves recently. Um, where you know they they had acquired several centers. I'm I'm sure he probably would have liked to have gone back to his hometown of Atlanta, but it just turned out that the teams that had the money, um, you know, Detroit was one of those teams that had the money and, and they acquired five centers in three days. So theoretically they could have been one of those, but uh, they decided they liked other guys better. They liked Dwayne Dedman better for some reason. They liked uh, Mason Plumley better for some reason. So a little, little bit of weirdness, but, um, yeah, the market was such that there was some money to be spent, but just not enough for a guy like Derek Favors to, to get the bag, as it were.
0: You think the Jazz still have another move in them?
1: Uh, I, I think maybe they have a, a, a minimum veteran move to, to be made. Honestly, um, you know, their, their only other option at this point would be would be to make another trade. Um their cap situation is such that uh, they're they're just uh, getting close enough to the tax apron that it doesn't make sense to do anything else. You know, theor- theoretically, they've got that uh, biannual exception they could use, uh, which is I want to say like three point six million dollars you can spend, and you know we've seen a few teams utilize that. That was the Lakers. Uh, first signing, bringing in a guy like Wesley Matthews on a 3.6 million dollar biannual exception. The Jazz, though, I think between the money they're spending on Mike Conley, on Rudy, on Boyan, uh, you know, using the mid-level on Fave, bringing back Jordan Clarkson at the number they did, uh, probably their their most of their money is spent. We're going to see them retain some of the guys on non-guaranteed contracts that they had last year like george niang like miayoni guys who are paid less than two million a year and then you know maybe they can bring in a vet minimum at 1.6 million but i don't think there's i don't think there's going to be anything beyond that to be honest
0: we're joined right now by Eric Walden, Utah Jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, as you look around the West, did the Lakers pull away from the pack? Uh, did the lack maybe they lose a little shot blocking, and that's going to be a problem for them, or or they just got more talent, and that's a problem for everybody else?
1: It's it's kind of crazy that, uh, what what being a championship winning team in Los Angeles can can do for your ability to attract talent, right? Um, yeah, the Lakers have, have improved in my estimation. Uh, I love the, the Gasol move for them. You know, is he the Mark Gasol of, of 2013 when he was defense player of the year? No, he's not. You know, he's he's 35 years old. He's moving a little slower. Uh, he's, you know, he, he, he's probably like a 20-minute-a-night-top guy at this point. But you have him. You add a Montrez Harrell. You added Dennis Schroeder. You added Wesley Matthews. You know, this was a team that, for all the talent it had, struggled to score every time LeBron James went to the bench last year, and that's not going to be an issue now. Uh, we've seen the Clippers make a few moves. Serge Ibaka is an incredible get for them uh, to replace Montrezl Harrell. Um, as, as you mentioned, the Nuggets, I think, probably took a step back. Um they did add uh, Jamichael Green. They did add uh, Facundo Campazzo, the, uh, the incredible Argentine point guard, who I, I understand is just going to be, like, incredible fun to watch. But, yeah, they lose Jeremy Grant. They lose Mason Plumley. Um, they took some hits on defense. They, they wound up having to pull their offer to Torrey Craig, who I know isn't a great shooter but was a tremendous defender, as we've seen in the games against the Jazz. I think the Blazers got better, acquiring Robert Covington, bringing back Ennis Cantor, who arguably had his best stretch there. It's going to be tough, but, you know, the way I look at it, too, is the Jazz are retaining everyone who they had last year from what probably should have been the fourth-best team in the West before they they tanked a few games in the bubble to get a seeding matchup. And then you add Derek Favors on top of that, to, uh, to improve the interior D. So I think Jazzman should be encouraged. Would, um, would it have been optimal to add someone who was a little bit better a perimeter defender? Yeah, it would have, but, you know, they, they decided that the interior D was a more pressing need and, and they went that way with it.
0: Is it possible, and if so, please do, to explain the apron and the salary cap and the hard cap to the layman?
1: Yeah, okay. So um, the salary cap is basically you're allowed at a baseline to spend about $109 million for the 15 guys on your roster, right? Um, You can go beyond that. To what's called the luxury tax. Basically, the league wanted to create some opportunities for teams to uh, retain some of their own guys. And you know, it, it's an inevitable fact that whenever you keep guys who you've brought up through the system over the years, they get more expensive, right? Whenever guys are changing teams, there's a chance that that the market. It is whatever for, for a guy, you know, coming in from elsewhere. He may make less, he may make more, you don't know. If you're retaining a guy on your team over multiple contracts, uh, you're, you're inevitably going to be paying more for him from one contract to the next. So the league created uh, this, this next level of the cap called the luxury tax, where you can exceed... Um, this year the mark is $132 million. You can get up to that in order to have some wiggle room to keep your own guys. Now, that's the mark where they don't really want teams to get beyond. But, again, there are some ways to do that. Um, once you start getting around the 138, $139 million mark in terms of salary outgoing to players, that's where, uh, that's where the trouble starts. That's where you start paying big time penalties, that's where your ability to make moves gets hampered. So that's, that's where the so-called tax apron is. So once you're spending above $132 million, you start getting onerous taxes put on you, Um, you know, a dollar for dollar tax, a dollar 50 per dollar tax, a dollar 75 or $2 for every dollar that you're over. Um, And then, yeah, with some of these moves, like the jazz using the mid-level exception that creates a situation where they become what's called hard caps they cannot go over 138.9 million dollars in spending no matter what because they've used that exception same for if they were to use the biannual exception these exceptions are put in place to say you can go a little bit over but once you use this move, you can't go over that 138.9 million dollar tax apron level. So, basically, yeah, it, it's a means of enabling teams to be able to spend more, to keep guys, and also to you know occasionally improve by bringing in guys from the outside as well.
0: So, with that as a background. Are they going to get Rudy Gobert done? Because it looks like they're going down list, checking things off. Favors, Clarkson, Mitchell, I think Gobert would be up next. What do you expect?
1: Yeah, he, he's definitely the last one on the list. I'm curious to see what happens there. I would expect they get it done. They absolutely want to get something done. Uh, that said, I think it's also no secret out there that there's been some reservations expressed in terms of giving Rudy the so-called supermax, where he's eligible to earn 35% of the team's salary cap as a result of being an all-NBA selection and, and defensive player of the year. Um, these are the contracts that we've seen awarded to uh, the Chris Pauls and the Russell Westbrooks and the John Walls, where you know it was intended again, as a, as a means of rewarding a guy and keeping him in keeping him with the team that he's been with. But what we've wound up seeing is uh, those contracts more often than not kind of become an albatross to the team handing them out. I mean, how much did Wizards regret giving a Supermax to John Wall right now? Uh, we were seeing, you know, a year ago, Chris Paul on a Supermax was thought to be untradeable. And the same with Russell Westbrook. Um, so Rudy's eligible for that. The Jazz probably don't want to give that to him. Uh, but then on the flip side, we're seeing with this contract that, with this extension that Donovan got, um, that he basically has, has it written in there where he can kind of get to that level if he makes the All-NBA team. You know, his, his baseline extension is five years, $163 million if he winds up making an all NBA team after this season that goes up to 190 195 uh how does that play in the Rudy Gobert camp you're willing to give that to Donovan but not to me um i don't know if that creates drama or not i hope it doesn't because i think this team is really compelling and and honestly just a lot better with Rudy Gobert on it than without him but They're going to have to find some middle ground, I think, to make that happen. Um, We'll see what the timing is on that. I I would suspect that, you know, as you mentioned, he's he's kind of the last thing on the to-do list. So they ought to be working on that. I suspect they're working on it. I wouldn't be shocked if we heard something in the next couple days, in fact, on it. But that's going to come down to, yeah, both sides' willingness to kind of meet somewhere in the middle, probably.
0: Well, that's a lot for uh, Jazz fans to chew on. A lot is done, and clearly a lot is still to be done. Eric, thanks for a few minutes, and uh, we'll keep reading you because camp's right around the corner.
1: (laughs) Man, uh, yeah, you're not kidding. It's like like this this offseason is like drinking from a fire hose, right?
0: (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much.
1: All right, you take care, guys.